2: Welcome to MindShifters Radio, I'm Tim Hayes, I'm your host for the first hour, and today is Thursday, July 6th, 2023, and as always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for almost 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy and use it as often as you'd like, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, it contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because... It tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would greatly appreciate it if you do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work when we know how these things are landing for you. You can give me a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone, or you can send me an email at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at Yagain.org. that's w-h-y a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g if we get a comment, a question or an answer or a testimonial from you through an email, we'll address it on the internet show and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that was discussed so you can listen back to the archives for your input and As I mentioned, we really appreciate when people do that because it's far easier for us to know what's working for you and what is being of service to you.
0: So, Susan, welcome. Hi. Quick question, Dr. Tim. I have a friend, a German friend, whose daughter is in Germany, and I told her about the radio show, and she does not have an iPhone But I know Michael talks about a chat room or a computer access. Can you give me information about that?
2: Yeah, if you go to Michael's website, whyagain.org, and you click on the picture of the microphone, there are links there. The other way to find it is to go to Blog Talk Radio.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And on Blog Talk Radio, you search for Mind Shifters Radio. Okay. And then you can get access both to the archives, or you can get access to the the current day show if you're there in that time slot.
0: Yeah, she'll be. It'll be six o'clock her time, which is a good time. Her mother said, for her to get onto the show. Does she have the capacity to push one and talk with this?
2: No, to to do that, she would have to um, call in on. what is what's what's that thing people use? Skype or whatever? You can be a Skype caller and call in and press one.
0: Oh. Okay. Oh that's right. I remember Jeannie mentioned that with um the man from Sweden. Uh yeah. Okay. Well carry on. I may talk again later, but I just wanted to ask and send her this information. I guess it's too late right now to get it to her, but that's helpful. Maybe I'll fiddle around with it myself. Uh,
2: well, I'm going to so she- try and send you here this um, an email with right. um, with the tab, you know, with the address that you could just forward to her.
0: Oh, it's a link, like.
2: Yeah. So you know, I I have it. I have it pulled up uh, I can't talk and uh, type at the same time. So <laughs> okay. so I have it pulled up on the uh internet in a tab. And so I've just emailed it to you. So if you click on okay. that link or if she clicks on that link, it'll actually let her listen to today's show.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I can do that as soon as I get it from you. I can send it to her mother, who will send it to her. I don't have the girl's address, but she. I, and I, I once she does that. Oh, good. Well, once well,
2: yeah, she does is. that. Okay. okay. And once you do that, if you change the uh, the zero five to a zero six and the dash six to a six, you can. Get today's show. That the one I sent you happens to be yesterday's show, July fifth. But if you, oh okay, if you edit that the, before e- you send it to her,
3: oh yeah,
2: then okay. you know it says Shifters Radio slash July 5th. zero. Here's me <laughs> talking in, on the delay. So. That link says, you know, MindShiftersRadio Radio slash 2023 slash 07 slash 05. If you change that five to a six, and then mm-hmm. it says July dash five dash 2023, change that to a five. I'm sorry, to a six instead of a five, and then send it to her. That'll be alive for today's show. Right now, the Whoa. link I sent you is how to how to tap in the recording from yesterday's show.
0: Oh, okay, thanks. All right, I'll fiddle around with it um and send it to her mother. So I'll be doing that so uh you can mute me or whatever or I can mute myself or let's see. Okay.
2: All right. Well, okay, I, I um I hope you have luck with that and I'll just mute you and you can listen in.
0: Great. Thanks.
2: So we have plenty of time for comments, questions, answers, testimonials, or tips and tricks, soliloquies, et cetera. I am uh, I'm experiencing some technical difficulties with MindShifters Radio. I can't get in the chat room, so my apologies if you're listening and you're trying to get in the chat room and send a message. Um So I'm wide open to questions or comments. I'm curious about people's response to yesterday's show and the concept of yes and and how it might be applicable to you as you're listening to this material, especially if anything you hear stirs up some kind of controversy within you. Area code eight six four. You're in the air. Who do we have? It's Joe. Hello, Joe. How can we support you? Yeah. Yeah, I
4: wanted to ask the thoughts on. I mean, well, I think that car is loud enough. I wanted to ask about. Um, in my relationship with this woman, it her comments are always about what I need to be doing or what i you know it's always you you are you know you're not feeling in your whole body or, or
2: are you there? Hello, Joe. All right, we lost Joe. On the odd chance or the off chance that Joe might be able to hear this or call back in or be listening through the Internet and calling at the same time, here's the the only response I might give to that is, when I'm in a situation with somebody and they want to tell me everything I need to be doing differently, let's see if, since Joe came back on, we'll turn on his microphone. Joe, are you there? Yes, thank you. Yeah, can you hear me? I, yes. You want to try this again? Okay. Yes, please. So you had a question and you were saying you're in a relationship with someone who keeps telling you what you need to change.
4: Yeah, yeah, the things that I need to work on. And it's kind of, it's annoying. At first it's annoying, but then it's, then it's for me, it, I kind of look at it and say, okay, based on the fact that I'm, you know, a mirror, basically a mirror image of of who she is and we're all connected, I mean, Having her point out these things it's not all bad, but it's like i, I sometimes feel, I feel like saying, "Well, how about if you just say you know talk about yourself and what okay, so, what so you're, to begin with what,
2: go ahead. yeah to to begin with, you'll get more mileage out of your efforts to make your life better if you understand that her saying that is not annoying. Right. Right, here's a here's a thing I had read before and I was um copying it and sending it to myself to talk about today from the Anthony DeMello book where he says no event justifies a negative feeling. There is no situation in the world that justifies or causes a negative feeling. That's what all of our mystics have been crying themselves hoarse trying to tell us so when you say it's annoying what michael rice in this position would say is that's denial right you're you're attributing the the feeling of annoyance that you're generating and feeling inside yourself you're attributing it to this other person and if you do that you you remain you, you create a prison for yourself and then remain in that prison So to begin with, to make the observation more accurately, now you start focusing on how am I creating annoyance in this situation. Now you're looking at where the problem is occurring. Now there's a potential for you to start to see solutions to your annoyance because your annoyance is always being created inside yourself. yeah so does no, that make sense just yeah. to begin there no, no
4: that that's it uh, that's I agree with that
2: yeah.
4: it's it's just and i and I have reached the point where when it's when she's when she starts to do it or when I start to feel or hear her diagnosis i I have accepted it and want to understand what and how it can benefit me and what I can learn from it. Does that make sense?
2: Yes, right. As long as you're turning the focus inside yourself and, right, and you start to right. catch it when, you're, when your thoughts say, geez, this is annoying, and you catch it and begin with saying, okay, how am I generating this feeling of annoyance? What am I doing within me to create the feeling of annoyance? Now, that's a wonderful first step. And then if you want to take the next few steps, you would pull out one of my, Dr. Michael Rice's reality management worksheets, and you can start with, you know, 1B, the feeling. I'm annoyed. I have annoyance. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then you can back into the worksheet and say, you know, what's the goal that is not getting met? that's in the thoughts that are creating the emotions of annoyance. Well, what's my thought that's creating this annoyance? She has no right to tell me about me. Or she's not doing her own work or, you know, any other thought like that. So once I identify a thought like that, that as I pour more of my mind energy into that thought, I feel stronger the sense of annoyance, that, that emotion of annoyance, now I know I've got the right thought. Now I look yeah. into that thought and I say, this thought contains a goal that's not getting met. So if I say, you know, she's not doing her own work, and that's the the thought I'm using to create annoyance. Or if I say, she's picking on me. Or if I say, um, all she does is find fault with me. Yeah. So any yep. one of those thoughts is going to contain a slightly different goal when you look at it. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I want her to do her own work might be one goal. Another sure. goal might be, I want her to value my good, my, my good stuff, right? What, what's, what's yeah. already going well with me. And so there's, all these different goals, every time I set up that thought and a different goal and I cancel a thought and the goal, it opens what Michael Rice would call a keyway to a different part of my mind that I need to become aware of if I'm going to dismantle the roots of annoyance within me.
4: Right, right. Exactly. Okay. Okay.
2: Now, That is just that first level of working within myself, right? That doesn't fix my relationship pattern. If I'm in a pattern of relationship with somebody and they are constantly, in terms of my perception, they're frequently, in terms of my experience, telling me what's wrong with me and wanting to focus on what they don't like about me then I have the question of, okay, what do I do in my interactions with this person if I'm going to stay in this relationship? How can I respond to that in a loving way, or how can I um, shift the focus away from it? Like maybe I've got, you know, I think um, this happens so often that I, I don't want to reinforce it by responding to it, so I'll just talk about the weather, or I'll shift the focus to something else, and I won't even acknowledge the comment because it's the same comment over and over again. So that's for you to decide in your interactions with that person, and the guidelines that we offer are, is it loving, is it gentle, is it respectful, is it honoring, does it come from the place in you where you're tapping into what you value about this person, and sitting in those feelings that get generated when you focus on what you appreciate about this person and if it's not then don't say oh, it until now. you can restore yourself yeah. to that gentle peaceful cherishing space
4: right so let me see if i understand so you're what what when the reaction happens when i'm in that in that moment it's 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 my response to ask myself, is this a loving, caring uh, offering from her?
2: No, 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 and, no, and, not from her. No, I'm I'm suggesting that, that as I decide to respond, she says to me, you never look at your own stuff. You yeah. need to do this. You need to do, your problem is dot, dot, dot. When she says yeah, that to me. Right. The first thing I want to do is, when I become aware of this energy of annoyance, this emotion of annoyance, I want to take a breath and turn the focus inside and ask myself, how am I creating this emotion of annoyance? Breathe and soften with that nice, long, slow exhale. I might also ask myself, if that doesn't tap me into it, I might ask the question, what am I making it mean that she's telling me this or asking me this question? And that might shine the light on the goal I have and the goal I need to cancel yeah. and the worksheet I might do on that. That's one level of it. The next level of now I'm, I'm, I'm here in the real world with another human being, either on the phone with me or face to face, and they have said something and I need to respond to it. This is where I'm saying I take another breath and get centered and I ask myself, is what I'm about to say to this person coming from the place in me that cherishes them, that sees oh. their highest and best.
4: Right. Okay. Right? Okay.
2: The ancient Aramaic my, term okay. for humility, yeah. the meaning for the word humility is not the grovel in the dirt as though well, you're less than somebody. It's this ability to look for and see the highest and best in another person. And then, despite whatever's coming out of them, even if there's anger or grief or insult or attack coming out of them, I choose to cooperate only with their highest and best. So is what I'm about to say in response to the person that tells me I never do this and that, or I'm always this and that, or I'm wrong here or there, is the response I'm about to make gentle, respectful, honoring of them. Does that make sense?
4: Right. Okay. Yes, yes, I, I see. Okay, so let me feed it back then. It's it's a, if if the when the irritation occurs, it's my why why am I considering this an irritation?
2: And how are you creating the emotion of irritation yeah. Yeah. within yourself right. in response to this? Right. And or what are you making this mean? Right? Because when, when, right. when you interpret it as meaning something for which irritation seems to be the appropriate response, what is that meaning?
4: Right. And, and to forgive or to go through the worksheet, to look at the goal that I've set up, to end up with that, with that result is to let go of it forgive myself or
2: not forgive yourself but to dismantle the energies within you just, right that lead you to feeling the irritation
4: mm-hmm. because
2: in this work the word right. forgive is not equated to pardoning or letting off the hook it's equated to dismantling and getting rid of right. you don't want to get rid of yourself right. you don't want to get rid of the other person you want to get rid of the energies mm-hmm. within you that are less than love
4: exactly Okay. Very good. Yes.
2: So then what you do next is based on what you can generate from a loving, respectful, cherishing space, a more accurate, in other words, you know, whenever I'm feeling irritation, annoyance, anger, anger. guilt, shame, any of those negative emotions, the one thing I can know is that I'm not seeing things clearly. Right. right. My mind is telling me I'm right, and the world around me is wrong.
4: Right. right.
2: What I've been trained to think is, when I have anger, the more angry I am, the more right I know I am, and the, the more wrong the other people are. And as Guy Finlay yeah. says, my anger never tells me that I'm right. It tells me I don't know what rightness is in that moment when I'm experiencing anger. Nope. And we talk about. If you interview a trial attorney and you ask her what state of mind do you want the witness for the opposing side to be in when you cross-examine them? Do you want them mm. to feel calm and safe and secure? The attorney, and she'll, she'll tell you, no, I don't want them feeling calm and safe and secure. And you'll say, well, what do you want? Them? I want them in anger or fear. Why? Because that's mm. when they make mistakes. Right. Now. If, if that's the way this trial attorney makes her living, and she's spent years of training and has years of on-the-job experience to tell her this is how it works best, I can look at that and say, oh, yeah, but that's just a special situation that only happens when people are on the jury stand and being cross-examined by the other side. I could do that, and I could dismiss that wisdom that comes from that trial attorney or i could say you know what it's probably a good thing to take a look at any time i have hostility or fear going in me and i might assume i'm about to make a mistake right or at least that i'm much more likely the probabilities start to skyrocket that i'm going to do something i later regret if i act from the face (laughs) of any hostility any fear any confusion, hurt, guilt, shame, just because that's what we observe over and over again. So I can know, or I I can at least start exploring every time I have a negative emotion. This is like the core. This is the bedrock of this work. I take a breath, I turn the focus inside me, and I say, if I'm in pain, something about my thinking is in error my perceptions right. are off. Michael Rice would say, I'm driving down the mountain road and my lights just went out in my car and it's a complete pitch black moonless, starless night. What do you do if you're driving the car and the lights go out? Well, I've been on this road yep. so many times, I think I know in about 30 yards I turn, take a little turn to the right. And I, no, you stop the car. Right. It's the only reasonable thing to do. So, I'm in an interaction with somebody that I say I care about or I respect. Maybe it's somebody at the store. Maybe it's someone in my love life. Maybe it's my business partner. And I feel this flood of energy that I would label a negative emotion. What's the most useful thing for me to do? Stop the car. Don't keep thinking down that path. Don't say anything yet until I get the lights back on. And how, What are the lights coming back on? In this work, the lights coming back on are me getting back in touch with my true nature as love, getting mm. to the rooted center of my being, and taking an action from there. That's the ancient definition for faith. Acting from the rooted center of my being. I don't want to speak, think, or act for an extended period mm-hmm. of time Unless I'm coming from the rooted center of my being. What's that? The awareness of my true nature as being one with all. Coming from love. Coming from the one mind. Whatever you want to call it. Whatever phrase you want to apply to it.
4: Yeah. Rose and the butterfly. Exactly. You know that story. Yeah. And so, to... Go back over any any time. It really is the trigger, or it's kind of an overused word for me. No, it really is let's, any let's, time. Let's, irrit-
2: let's, let's clear this up. I'm so, so I'm glad you <laughs> use that word trigger, right? Because in yeah, my yeah. work with people, what I say is I'm not triggered. What I say is I have chosen an interpretation for what's unfolding. Mm. Yeah, that is in resonance with negative energies that I'm carrying with me. And so this this dynamic that we call getting triggered, you know, if I if I say, "Oh, you triggered me," or that situation triggered me, I'm still saying I'm a victim. Can you hear me, Joe? I don't know if Joe is driving, or are you there, Joe? You're still on the, on the switchboard. So just to clear this up, the idea that I say I'm triggered, my way mm. of thinking says I'm still a victim. If I say that you triggered yeah, me this yeah. situation triggered me.
3: Right.
2: But when I recognize right. that I only, I only make things mean what I choose them to mean.
3: Right.
2: And so I don't talk about getting triggered anymore. I talk about I chose this interpretation for that situation or that interaction or that event. And when I do and I pour my mind energy into that situation, I make it mean that. If it's in resonance with... I'm going to mute you, Joe, because the background noise is so loud. If the interpretation that I choose is on the same frequency that it's in resonance with negative emotions or trauma energies that I brought with me into this situation, then they get activated. I'm adding energy to them. How? By pouring my mind energy into this interpretation. I had a gentleman come see me. He was in his 50s. He was a a former Marine, and he had a 20-something daughter who had a a, a rage problem. And so she was banging on the door one night when he was trying to sleep, and she, she wouldn't listen to him. He had the door locked because he knew of the rage problem. Eventually, he got fed up and he went to the door, threw it open, pushed past his daughter, and went to the kitchen, opened the pantry, found the thing that she said she couldn't find, and threw it on the counter. Unbeknownst to him, she was in a rage following him, charged into him, knocked him into the pantry. He got scuffed up. She got bruised. And then the police got called. So He decided to take the fall for his 20-something daughter because he knew she had some emotional issues and she wouldn't. So he let himself get arrested. He let himself get processed and charged and whatnot, and then he came for help in therapy. And we were talking about this, how it's all an inside job. And we were talking about how when anger or fear comes out of somebody, it means there's pain or fear or sadness inside of them that they don't feel capable of processing within themselves. And we and we we went through several sessions with this, and he had a hard time grasping, grasping this. He kept trying to say, but she and this and that. And I said, okay, let's take a look at it this way. Here's a situation, and you know, you 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 say you love your daughter, and and your actions demonstrate that in one way because you let you took the fall in this situation where the police got charged, and it wasn't you weren't at fault, right? And so. What would happen if you're there and we we recognize that when anger and swearing and yelling and name-calling and insults come out of a person, it means there's pain, fear, or sadness inside of them that they don't feel capable of managing inside. He goes, okay, I get that. I say, all right, so let's say that you are laying in bed one night. You've got to get up early the next morning and you're trying to sleep and all of a sudden you get awakened because there's some really loud noise in the hallway and you call out from your bed, hey, knock it off, I'm trying to sleep. And then the noise continues until you get up and you throw open your bedroom door and you see your daughter lying on the floor writhing in pain in the hallway. Would you scream at her, knock it off, I'm trying to sleep? Well, this Marine came halfway out of his chair in anger at me saying, I love my daughter, I would never do that. And I said, okay, good. Please don't hit me, sit back down, relax. He goes, what's your point? I said, all right, look at it this way. The same situation, you're in bed, you're asleep, and there's this noise coming that wakes you, and it's her banging on the door, yelling at you, and blaming you for this, that, and the other thing. You get up and you recognize my daughter has pain, fear, or sadness in her that she can't manage. I love this young woman. I open the door and I say, honey, honey, please, what's going on? How can I help you? Do you think if you put that interpretation on her, yelling pounding at the door and calling you names, that she's in pain and she needs your help, do you think that would create a different interaction between you and your daughter? After three or four repetitions of that, he finally started to let it sink in. So here's the same outside event. But if he puts the interpretation on it, this so-and-so disrespectful you know, person and I don't know, my needs don't count and she's just you know, nitpicking. And if I put that interpretation on my daughter banging on the door, then I generate upset or rage within me. If I put the interpretation of my daughter banging on the door, calling me names and yelling and screaming, that she's in some intense emotional discomfort, pain, fear, or sadness that she can't handle, I generate an entirely different response. This is the kind of example I use to let people know why I don't talk about getting triggered. I talk to people about what interpretation have they created and placed on the outside events. The other thing I mention here is that when we talk about the way of mastery, there's an entire lesson titled, All Events Are Neutral. And they're neutral, and the way of mastery points out, and yet my thoughts about them are not neutral. The interpretations I place on them are not neutral. I'm turning the mic back on, Joe, to see if you're still there.
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: Is this making sense? Still there. Yeah, it's, it's it, yeah,
4: I, it, absolutely. I, 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 I always, always benefit from these phone calls to you or Michael, and, um, it's Course of Miracles. Uh, you know, I'm never upset for the reason I think. Absolutely. It's, it's just, a, it's right. just really that pausing consideration. It's of, the bottom uh, line observation and they, number
2: 10. That's, It says if I have a negative thought active in my mind about myself or somebody else or a negative emotion active in my mind, I can instantly know three things. Number one, it's a lie or based in a falsehood. Number two, it's an old tape playing. It's not about the present moment situation. It never is. Insert the course in miracles. I'm never upset for the reason I think I am. And the third thing I can know instantly is if I sit here spinning and thought about it, if I speak or take an action from it, I'm just going to make my situation worse. I can't improve my life situation when I sit and spin with negative thoughts or take an action from them. It's akin to throwing garbage on the buffet table right before dinner. It doesn't enhance the dining experience.
4: (laughs) That's it. Thank you. Got to run.
2: All right. Take care.
4: Thank you. I,
2: I will. Uh, I didn't need to mute Joe. He hung up. So comments, questions, answers, testimonials. Um, I don't recall talking to Joe before, but the voice sounded somewhat familiar. So thoughts, uh, comments, I um. I dipped my toe in with Joe on the call about what I was going to read today or come back to and recite. Um, the, The quote from Anthony DeMello is that no event justifies a negative feeling. Of course, this ties right into... The Way of Mastery Lesson Number 9 that says all events are neutral. Now, while all events are neutral, my thoughts about them are not neutral. My thoughts about them can be positive, neutral, or negative. And it's the thoughts that I choose to pour my mind energy into that generate my experience of life. They're going to generate the emotions I experience. And so when I look at this work with Anthony DeMello and he says here are these four steps and the first one is acknowledge the upset right don't this is just like the Diedrich Wolzak work where he says step one don't minimize acknowledge you're having a negative response to something Identify those negative feelings in the Anthony DeMello work. First step, identify the negative feelings. Understand that they are in you is step two. Understand this is exactly the same step with Diedrich Wolzak's work. Understand I'm creating this inside me. It's not being caused by the outside event. It might get resonated into activity by the interpretation i'm placing on the outside event but the outside event is independent of what i'm creating inside of me the third step from anthony de mello's work is do not see these negative emotions within you as part of you as a part of the essence of you these things come and go you as an essence as a consciousness as an entity do not come and go and then the fourth step in the Anthony DeMello four-step process is to understand that when I change in here and what I'm experiencing inside me and with Michael Rice's work taught in when I cancel the goal that's active in that, I begin to understand that as I change in here, everything changes. You know, You want to see different things? Change the looker. Don't change what you're looking at. Change what is looking. Change the filter that you choose. Change the interpretation is another way to say it. Anthony DeMello quote that I read yesterday is, we see people and things not as they are, but as we are. That's why when two people, three people, seven people look at something, you can get two, three, or seven different views of it. We see things the way we are. 563-999-3581. There is never an excuse for a negative emotion that's valid. And of course, as I've been known to say on a number of occasions, an excuse doesn't have to be valid for me to use it. I'm I'm free to make excuses as long as I want. And as Guy Finley would say, as I do, I slumber in my suffering. Right. He's got this story of these spiritual aspirants and they're in this school. And the whole point of it, of the training is to be able to find a way to get um, across the bog of darkness and despair to the island. Because on the island is this one fruit, and when you eat it, you get enlightened. At least, you know, you're enlightened enough that you graduate from the school. And all of these aspirants, all these students are going to classes and doing workouts and studying this and that, and meditating and and, and making a forays into the swamp, and they're always thinking, and, and no one can figure out how to get across. And then this one student does, and he had you know some roommates, and some of the roommates were like, oh, congratulations. And one of them was like, you cheated. And he goes, no, I didn't cheat. And he says, Oh, come on, you got to show me. I know there's some secret. He says, listen, I'll be happy to take you out and show you. But it's not cheating. So they go out together, and, of course, it's always dark in the bog and at night, and it's always the the, the bog of darkness and despair. And they start walking, and the guy says, Here, just step out onto this muck with me. And and to, to his surprise, his friend doesn't sink. So he gets his courage up, and he takes a couple steps. And his friend says, See, that's it. Just keep going. And his friend steps out in front of him, three or four steps, and our aspirant starts to sink. And he calls out to his friend, help, you got to help me, I can't do this. And, he says, and his friend says, reach into your backpack and throw some of those things out of there. He says, what backpack? He says, you know, that backpack you've got that's full of excuses. He says, I don't have any excuses. This is just too dark. This is sucking me down. I've got no hope. You've cheated and you've got more than I do. And, you... and his friend says, Those are just excuses. And if you maintain and hold on to your... The ancient... It's not ancient, but this quote that is, if you argue for your limitations, they are yours. It's the same thing, the same wisdom, across all these different teachings. In the Way of Mastery, it says, you know... um, I say unto you, anger is never justified. And then he follows that up and he says, it does not mean you will not experience it. But stop fooling yourself into believing that there's some validity to it. Right? The, self, the, the acronym for sim, that, a sin that I find most useful, self-induced nonsense. I create this experience within me by the interpretations I choose and place on these neutral life events. And then, because of the training of my conditioning of my family and my culture, I I listen to my mind tell me that it's everyone and everything outside of me that's causing my upset. It's only always and forever an inside job. So I can... Throw an interpretation on any outside event that leads me feeling anger. Right? I can I can get a call from uh, the, the lottery board saying, you know, hey Tim, you just won twenty five million dollars, and I can generate anger. Says, hey, I saw on the news tonight it was forty seven million. Were you trying to cheat me? I can I can get furious. I mean, I just. I have some some friends I know that I'm on these different news feeds with, and they're just constantly posting about all the things that you should get upset about, that you should feel scared or angry about. And you can do that. We have lots and lots of people that do just that. You could also choose to focus on what's going on in your life, the miracle of life moving through you. You can also choose a different interpretation for every event. One of the more dramatic examples is Roger McGowan sitting on death row in, in a prison in Texas. And I, I think you'd be hard challenged to find a more abusive environment on this continent than where he was. And he starts... Corresponding with Roger McGowan or with um, Pierre Pratervan, and Pierre, after a while, these letters are so inspiring. He's, he's, you know, Roger McGowan is telling Pierre Pratervan, "You're, you're my inspiration. You're a spiritual teacher to me." And it's not long before Pierre Pratervan, in his conversations with Roger McGowan, says, "Roger, you're an inspiration to me. I'm learning from you." And Pierre says, you know what? I can't keep this to myself. That, what this human being is doing in this severely abusive environment is so remarkable. I have to share it with the world. So Pierre decides to collect some of these correspondences and publish them in a book. And in the beginning of the book, right, this, this is a, a book that Pierre published in 2009 this is a, a gentleman who's on death row for a crime he didn't commit in a six-foot-by-six-foot-by-ten-foot six cell. And in the introduction, here are five points that appear distilled from the letters and correspondences with Roger McGowan. The first one is, love is the fundamental law of the universe. This is from a guy on death row in, in an abusive environment. Love is the reply to every situation. It's our reason for existing. It's the essence of what we are. Love is easy. Hate is the difficult role to play. That's the first point he makes. The next point he makes is, everything that happens in life is an opportunity to learn. Life is a school of higher learning. The next thing he writes is, We can refuse to be victims and take total responsibility for our lives. This from a guy in death row for a crime he didn't commit. The second part of that statement is, even happiness is a choice to be made, whatever the circumstances of one's existence. The next point he makes is, God, infinite love, provides a field of infinite possibilities so that each of us can create a life that is perfect for us. Even if you're stuck in a situation as intense as death row in a prison. The last point he makes is, everyone creates their own reality essentially through their way of looking at and interpreting events people, and situations. This is the same truth. This is the same truth as the bottom line observations that say what happens to me and around me in my life is nowhere near as important as how I choose to interpret and respond to it. So the book by... Pierre Pratervand is Messages of Life from Death Row. And it's a book about the teachings and learnings that Pierre Pratervand has distilled from his correspondences with Roger McGowan. And so. Call in number is 563-999-3581. We've got about nine minutes left. If you'd like to make a comment about anything that we've discussed so far or have a suggestion for tomorrow's show, tomorrow's a Friday. We'll have another show tomorrow. We have a support group happening tonight. I'm pretty sure we'll do something a little bit more in line with these teachings and or the worksheet process than we did on Tuesday because Tuesday we we did some medicine of laughter, a la Cousin's work, with the healing power of laughter and humor.
3: And...
2: Um, I was um, thinking if nobody raised a hand that today I would go back into the book Walk in the Physical. And um, the essay 131 is titled The Playing Field of the Small Stuff. And the essay reads, The name of the game is to perform even the simplest actions from kindness, compassion, and love. We do not necessarily need to aspire to achieve some great physical accomplishment. We only need to meet any given moment or any given interaction with our right state of being. In other words, Tap into your true nature at the rooted center of your being and then take an action from there. The essay goes on and says, from the perspective of the spirit, success is when kindness, compassion, or love is genuinely brought forth in even the smallest way. Even the whisper in the quiet of your own heart is important. Success is not measured in moving mountains because the mountains of earth are not fundamentally real anyway what is real is you your consciousness itself and when that you chooses to meet any given moment with love the heavens themselves rejoice the goal then is not to achieve a given physical configuration in how the contents of the earth look the playing field is the moving of your own spirit, the wielding of your own precious intent. What's your intention? Are you working to grow your intention towards love and away from fear? Your intent is critical. The essay goes on and says, and wielding the wielding of intent is done within all scales of activity. Physical activity, whether large or small, or whether by thought or word or deed, all these choices, no matter their scope, are the grounds for real opportunity. This is how we bring our being to bear within the physical context. Our simplest and most noble power is in how we choose to meet our experience. And when genuine love is the motivation behind even the small choices, the contents of earth work themselves out on their own. Let's focus then, not on the scope and size, not on the forms and systems, but on who we really are and on how we may be there for each other. Let our choice be a kind gesture, a supportive smile, a gentle hand on the back of an old tree, for those choices may appear small, but when they're motivated by genuine love, even the smallest choice is the greatest accomplishment. The last thing I'll read today is working past the assumption of the objective material world. We live in a world that appears to be a shared objective reality. In that world, if someone goes to some place and sees something, they can report that something back to you, and you can gain knowledge about it secondhand. We often assume that the same is true for the larger reality. Reality is ultimately consciousness-based, not objective material world-based. So the nature of the experience of any given individual can be significantly different than that of another. In fact, there are two different experiences happening entirely. This is true even in our local world, where two people experience the same physical event in their own unique ways and often quite differently. But that truth is even more apparent in other reality systems. Many of these other reality systems are instantaneously responsive to the personal nature and the intent of the individual. The, quote, objects, close quotes, reported from those environments, then, are often more a reflection of the individual and their beliefs than they are of the actuality itself. In order to pursue understanding of the larger reality, then, we need to be willing to let go of the many physical assumptions that we hold so dear. One of those assumptions is the belief in an objective, material world. The world of matter is a consistent shared experience, not a fundamental place. What is truly present is not the matter, but consciousness itself. Consciousness itself is having the deep dream of matter. While the veil of the dream remains thick for many on earth, the spirit is not fundamentally constrained by distance, matter, or certain methods of perception, or even constrained by linear time. Thus, as we seek to understand the, quote, big picture, close quotes, from the human perspective, it behooves us to realize these assumptions. For even though we naturally associate with the context of the physical realm, our true nature is far more wonderful and unlimited than any part of this dream's structure. So the thing that was coming to my mind when I started to read that is we have two or three or five people and they all decide to go into Chicago over this last weekend where NASCAR has taken over some streets and there are 4th of July celebrations and festivals and streets closed and thousands of extra people there and some people go down to that and they are thrilled they're lit up with excitement and other people go down there and they're filled with drudgery and they'd rather be any place else and the parking is a nightmare and they're complaining about how many people there are same outside event extraordinarily different internal realities being created and this is always the case so I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie
1: Rice. Thank you, Doctor Dim. I appreciate it.
2: You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show.
1: Thank you. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. Today is Thursday, July the sixth, twenty twenty three. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that will put you into queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. And uh, I see Susan's hands up. I'm not sure if she talked to Dr. Tim or if she's wanting to talk to Michael, so while we're waiting on Michael to dial in, I will turn Susan's microphone on. How are you doing today, young lady? I'm doing very
0: well. I didn't raise my hand. That was from Dr. Tim. And all I did with Dr. Tim is ask him how you use the computer access to the radio show. And he sent me a link and said within the link is the date of the show. So he showed me what to do because I have a friend, uh, a German woman in my neighborhood. We've become friends and she has a daughter who is in Germany and needs to do some work. And I said, would she consider this sort of way to do it? And the woman thought it was a fabulous idea. So awesome. she has sent the link. I, I hope the young woman calls in. I don't even know her name. But she doesn't have a phone. She has a computer. Ah. She has a phone, but it's not the kind that she could call in the However. way. Call over right.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, she could... She could even, uh, you know, and the instructions are also on the website. Uh, if you click on the uh, the microphone in the middle of the home page and it takes right. you to how you can uh, get into the phone through blog talk, you can actually, she could if she couldn't dial in and talk like through Skype or something, she could ask questions in the chat room and listen on yeah. the computer. And so we could answer that well, way. Tim, so that would be awesome.
0: Tim told me that too. He, he, uh, but he did finally send me a direct link, which I sent to her mother and said, send it right now because uh, the radio show has just started. It's six o'clock her time in Germany. Her mother said that Uh would be a good time, so I hope she does.
1: Hi. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that would be good. Yeah. And Michael. Michael has joined us. Welcome, Michael.
5: Thank you, dear heart, and Welcome. Hey, young lady, and uh, we're talking about someone in Germany that has an interest in doing some healing work.
0: I, there's a woman who, who runs in the park, and I see her often. And we've, we've gotten to talking about real stuff, thank goodness. <laughs> right. So she said she's terribly worried about her daughter. Daughter moved here to live with her during the pandemic. She lost a job in Germany. She's 32 years old. And she lived with her parents for a while, but really wanted to go back to a group of friends she had in Germany. But when she got right. back to Germany, the the friends had dispersed, married, paired up, gone out. And she's without a job, and she's depressed. And I just thought, mm. boy, radio show. And the mother loved the idea. So I called Dr. Tim to get, because she doesn't have a phone the way we do, she has a phone, but she would have to come in on her computer. Right. So Je- Jeannie right. was telling me how to get the website and do that.
3: <laughs> right.
5: And also let her know that the book is in German. I don't know if she speaks English well, but if not, the book is on the website free in German as well.
0: I'll tell her <laughs> that. She's fluent in English, but, you know, having it in German might be might be great because she's originally German you know having it in your native tongue yeah that's actually something that we
1: tell people when they're doing the worksheets if their native language is some other language it was actually a German woman that we discovered that with because she had an issue of being um, in poverty all the time and um, Mm -hmm. she's actually out of her body now but she, uh, we told her, you know, well, the issue started when you were in Germany, and so why don't you do your worksheet in German? And she had a major breakthrough, and actually when she passed away, um, I would think that she's close to being a millionaire, wouldn't you, Michael?
3: I think oh, a couple my times God. over.
1: Very, very.
3: Yep. Wow.
1: Yep. So it made a difference because it was a different vibration. And I'll yeah. send you the link for the German book, too, direct link. Oh, that's
0: wonderful. Thank you. Excellent.
1: I'll forward it right cool. to the So, how are,
0: things,
5: how are things unfolding it's, for you? You've been doing some heavy-duty right. work the last day or two.
0: Well, or you know, I have been. <laughs> All right.
5: <Just laughs> a lifetime some. or two.
0: <laughs> All right. Things are good. In, in spite of some insights, which... Uh, you know, insights sound awful, but it's such a relief to get them rather than suppress them. Yes. You you know,
5: I, I think a really important key, especially when people are unwilling to look at things, is to recognize that anything you embrace in your true nature will always be a benefit, will always be a gift, no matter how horrific the experience might have been. Once it's transformed by the presence of love you know actual present love and that's of course one of the skills that needs to be developed to do the work then everything is a gift the whole you know every aspect of life becomes a gift at that point point. Mm. and if there's something that doesn't look like it's a gift yet it's because it hasn't been embraced in love yeah there's a there's an interesting story about a, a man in the dream in the scriptures you'll recall and he's wrestling with a, a an angel a gift right and he doesn't want he's not going to let go till he gets the gift he stays with it stays with it stays with it stays with it and that's what needs to happen with these issues that you know i mean i can have an inkling of something that i need to deal with and if i'm eating the sad diet, you know, I I smoke pot or, you know, drink alcohol or do my, you know, drugs that shut down vitality, then I'm going to, I might hang out with that issue for decades. And then when I finally decide to shift and go to the, the next level of vitality, the vitality required to open that aspect of what I, that gift is, that's when I can open it and receive it. But otherwise, if if one stays in resistance, no, 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 I don't want <clears throat> to... brings to mind a song when we were kids, and the melody line or the main line in it, the soldier under General Custard, and the song goes, please, Mr. Custard, I don't want to go. In the background, if you remember that song, the, the refrain I is feel- forward, ho, it's like, we're going. He's like, please, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Everything's a gift, ultimately. Mm. But if we count on perception, oh, man. We can give anything. We can give anything all kinds of horrific attributes. Yeah. Because of the horrific things in ourselves we haven't worked through, haven't owned yet.
0: That is so true. And I don't quite know how to accept what has hit me about all this work is that I aligned myself with my mother against my sister. I became my mother, my my, my power, power
5: person type yep.
0: mother against my sister. And I have talked to her about the realization of this right now, but I said to my sister, you know, you told me that you had a terrible time at school and you were bullied a lot for being a crybaby, which of course made you cry more or, you know, that's using the old language, but she chose right. to cry more. And <clears throat> I said, but Joe, I wasn't nice to you when we were little. I was very critical of you. I was jealous of you. I wanted to strangle you. Talk about the same words I used the other day. Um, yes don't you remember and she said you know we we had such good times too which we did i used to make up stories and tell her stories and whenever my parents weren't around we were friends but when my parents my mother came around we were enemies and it was instantaneous but i said notice that's a powerful clue
5: that's a powerful clue Because what I hear you saying is, remember the three levels of behavior related to the power person dynamic. When there's little or no stress, I'll do whatever I did to get along with my power person. Mm -hmm. When stress starts to build, I'll do what I did to resist and survive. And when I become ultra-stressed, I'll do what my power person did to me that I hated the most. Uh So you just acknowledge what your power person did to you the fact that you passed it on to your sister and what that would imply is that when your parents were around probably especially mom then there were all kinds of goals active in your mind probably in order to stay safe or be accepted or be what people call loved and so when mom and or dad showed up those goals were activated and that's what kicked in the power person dynamic toward your sister
3: Mm -hmm. so it would be wise to do
5: worksheets looking at what all those goals might have been with your power person and doing worksheets to get rid of those goals because remember that once a goal is set in the mind there's only, there are only two ways to move it into an inactive state. One is to achieve it. Two is to mm-hmm. cancel it. And if mm-hmm. it's never been canceled, and, and notice, you know, the goals were there even when mom wasn't there, but they weren't active mm-hmm. and therefore didn't impact your relationship with your sister. But mm-hmm. as soon as the power person showed up and all those goals went into resonance. That's when you're stressed. You would overwhelm with stress and move to that behavior. And the very behaviors that you just described are probably the very behaviors you remember detesting from your power person.
0: Well, I didn't i didn't hit my sister. Well, sometimes I did. But I didn't have a riding crop and thrash her. But I right. disapproved of her. I i criticized her outwardly and in my mind. And later in life, she did a couple of things which were really not sisterly, and that's putting it mildly. The first one was when I brought Tim Bingham home to introduce him to the family, my sister got all dressed, flirted like mad with him. She thought she could get him. She could win him for herself, which was very competitive. And then the other thing, which I tell you, Michael, I've been told this by my son, and I have forgotten it, literally forgotten it more than one or two times. And my daughter, I was telling my daughter about doing this wake-up sheet business and how my fatigue seems to be gone, gone, knock on (laughs) wood, you know, the other shoe isn't dropping, and I'm very happy about it. But she said, Mom... Don't you remember that Joe also molested Jonathan when he was a little boy? She used to babysit. And finally, Jonathan would disappear whenever Joe came over, my sister came over. Jonathan would make sure he was not home. And it was <clears> only this year that he told me that she did that. And he had a word for it in his mind he has a name for her in his mind, which I won't repeat, but he's good to her. He's cordial and kind, and we invite her to dinner when there's a family holiday thing. But he said he can't ever, ever be near her without his skin crawling. Yeah, Uh, yeah. And I keep forgetting that. And my daughter reminded me, and I thought, this, too, might be sitting down there, and one of the reasons I've been so tired is I've been sitting on whatever it is, anger at her, horror at her, uh, I don't even know how to put it into words, the sense that she, I understand. although she, yeah, beyond she words, is a, she's appreciative of Tim and me because we pay her rent. Um, and she'll say so, which is something Michael doesn't even do, but when I see her, I am so repulsed, and the repulse is part of that vulnerability thing we were talking about. It's like she, you know, by learning that about her, she has been exposed to me as a person who would do that. I don't know, yeah, no words. I don't know what to do with it, but it's out there. I feel as if some poison has been removed from my body and it's sitting on a table right in front of me. Mm
3: -hmm.
5: But it's
0: not in my body anymore.
5: That's awesome. And you do know exactly what to do with it. That's an old voice Mm -hmm. in your head that you don't know what to do with it. You've got the tools. You know how to
0: use them. I've got the tools, but I'm not sure I can... I'm not sure I'm willing to forgive this. That's what I mean. I don't know if i'm so,
5: so you'd like I to carry know. that toxic poison around in your body or keep it on the table longer <laughs> no,
0: i realize I realize that's true because I still have the idea that I'm doing this for her. If I can think I'm doing it for me, I can do it. yeah Maybe well, remember good.
5: that you know forgiveness has nothing to do with another person forgiveness does not mean I need to reconcile or I need to ever see them again doesn't mean any of that. It means that I remove the toxic load that burdens my structure.
0: Yeah. Good to remember.
5: And then as you do that, you may find the space to pardon her. You may find the space for some compassion and understanding and I could certainly I mean, I can't fathom where my head would be I'd certainly have some work to do if I found out that someone sexually abused my child that would be that would be a big one yeah and and at the same time my mind can go to the place of
3: hmm
5: I wonder whose genes she's got there I wonder who sexually abused her and what kind yeah. of trauma was inflicted on her that she was lashing out against Like, was it maybe her way of getting back at you for the behaviors you did to her?
0: Oh, I think so. And it's way, and I'm not allowed, Jonathan, who told me this, said, do not tell Joe and do not tell my husband. And I have not. He doesn't doesn't want even him to know. So here I am blowing it out on the radio show, but... Um work to be done. Yeah, but I so, it has occurred to me that she has been trying to get back at me and I do understand that. She sure picked you know. the most precious things in my life to undermine.
5: Do you suppose uh, that with the behavior you just acknowledged that you did toward her? That you undermine some of the most precious things in her life, like her
0: soul. Yeah. Definitely. And she doesn't even acknowledge it. She says, Oh, Sue, you didn't yeah. do anything. I mean that was nothing to compared yeah. to being at school. Yeah. yeah.
5: Big stuff to open. Mm. Your son is 40
0: 50 almost 50, 50. he just I think he's turning 50 in December. Yes. Yeah, 1972 mm. Yeah, he December 28th, 1972. Mm. So he's December 28, 1972. Just he's 50. Just a kid, I know. <laughs> he is he's doing a lot of work too. We have good talks. I pull out the tools undercover. <laughs> You know, he does understand well, that his... Yes? Go ahead. He understands that maybe he's just beginning to consider that maybe daily anxiety is something he doesn't have to live with for the rest of his life. He mm-hmm. said that today. We yep. talked. Wow, he says, that's awesome. M- maybe... I don't have to think that it is locked in because I inherited it from my dad. Right.
3: Uh,
0: and I've told him about DNA and how you can clear that. And he likes the scientific language. And I also have said, I don't have that anxiety anymore. And I had it in spades ever since I was a teenager waking up in a near panic every day, unable to eat, going to school with great anxiety, tree floating, not necessarily nervous about any particular thing. I didn't talk to anybody about it because back then you just thought that's the way it is. That's life.
5: Yeah. Have <laughs> you I done I any worksheets on that? Specifically?
0: On which?
5: What you just spoke about, how you, from the time being in danger, you get up with this angst.
3: Mm.
0: Well, that I've gotten rid of it. Is that what you mean? Because right. I, I got started it. doing wake up. Yes, yes. So and I my, told my Jonathan, is, I don't have that anymore. So I said, right. he said, how did you get rid of it? And I said, well, I've been using Michael Rice's tools, and I I think they are the ticket. They've been the ticket for me to be well. I just don't get that feeling anymore. Yeah, and he said, "Wow." So my suggestion
5: would be, my suggestion would be would be to take it to the next level Mm
0: -hmm. and
5: do some worksheets on the teenager who would get up with that kind of anxiety going. And you'll probably uncover a whole different level. And my my intuitive hit and the reason I pursued this is that. This is part of why you don't sleep, Whoa. and when you clean that up, you'll probably
0: sleep like a baby. Well, I'll definitely do it because I would like to sleep yeah, like a baby. Yeah, yeah, that
5: that would be really, really awesome.
0: You mean you're thinking For that sure. I just shoved it into the unconscious and it's sitting in there bothering me at night?
5: Yes, well, who would want to go to sleep if I know that when I wake up in the morning I'm going to have all this crap in my face and it's going to be ah. another horrific day? Why would I go to sleep when that's what I'm going to look at? I would say that's a pretty significant piece of your puzzle, mm. even though it goes back a half a century or more. Yeah. To when you okay. were a teenager. Mm-hmm. The other thought that comes, when you're talking about Jonathan, he has shared with you directly that your sister sexually abused him? Yeah. So then I would open the conversation with him about another level of insight that you've had around that issue and how it's impacted you, and that... You know if he doesn't deal with that unconscious dynamic and that's probably a a major piece of the route I mean the the pain the rage the violation the fear the hatred the trepidation I mean the list goes on with people you know that I've heard from who've been sexually abused the terror and if he just folded that away as a kid like what do I do with this I can't even tell anybody. You say he just told you in the last year?
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
5: So what do you suppose he's been carrying around with him? And how do you suppose that's going to reflect in his perceptual mind? So I'd open the conversation with him and offer to sit down and do a worksheet with him.
0: Can you... My mind is going on tilt. <laughs> could you, how would we frame that out? How would I frame it out with him? I'm going to write this well, down because I can't imagine approaching you with that like that. But why not? Well,
5: I could easily see. you remember, Jonathan, when you shared with me that you were sexually abused by my sister. Well, that came up for me. I've been working on, I've been, I've had all this stuff going on, this anxiety, I haven't been sleeping, and I had this drop in energy, and when I started to look, when I was guided to look, that's what I found in me. And since I've been looking at it and processing through it with worksheets, you know, I mean, the fact that I could hardly move for a good part of every day in the last, I don't know how long, uh, that's been lifted. It's gone physiologically. Mhm. And so, that he's opened the door with you of, gee, I can now imagine that maybe I could live my life without anxiety. Jonathan, do you suppose that, you know, and do you know what age it was that that happened?
0: His age, uh, age four to six about. It was Hmm. ongoing.
5: So... What do you suppose a child of four or to six does with that kind of assault? And then the other no side idea. of it, and I've, I've worked with, and this may be something else that opens up, I've worked with a number of people who have been sexually abused, and there was an aspect of them that enjoyed it. And then there's oh, the yeah. guilt of, oh, you know, how terrible am I? So... Mm-hmm. What do you suppose somebody who carries that kind of a thorn in their mind yeah. for 45 years, what, what do you suppose it does to them? And he could be yeah. totally free of that, totally and completely. And you could use, move to the next level, I would offer. This would probably be an important part of your process where you could actually, rather than be in the unresolved trauma, whatever that looks like, being around your sister, that you could forgive, you could remove that so that you can simply remain as the presence of love in your physiology in your sister's presence.
0: And I haven't done that yet for sure. Who do you I've suppose suffers from that? Oh, yeah. We hardly ever see each other. Um, uh, and, yeah. you know, I call her once a week and check in, but it's very superficial. You so ask me a it's time to go Sorry, beyond, beyond the superficial. Okay, you asked a question.
5: So yeah. my question was, what do you suppose it would be like to resolve mm-hmm. these
1: dynamics
5: around your sister and stand fully present as the human being that you are, as the presence of love in the presence of your sister. And and in doing that, there's gonna be a whole other round of energetic dynamics because there's a good chance that this sexual abuse issue didn't start with your sister and your son there's a good chance that your sister very likely was sexually abused and or there's genetic abuse that hasn't been looked at in the family system. And if that's true, and I don't know if you've ever inquired with your grandsons about what is going on in their sexuality, but I'll bet it's there.
0: How how would it be there? What's there? You mean the sexual abuse experience? You mean just passed down generationally?
5: Generationally. Mm, okay. And or and or been played out with those boys.
0: You mean their parents might have done it to them, or I'm sorry, I'm being so literal. Their parents,
5: their parent, their parents, or the kid down the block, or the next door neighbor, or you know, the guy at the grocery store. I don't know oh yeah okay. if that if that energy of being abused is inside of one unresolved think, yeah. and there's somebody yeah. in the neighborhood that has the potential to be a sexual abuser they're going to be drawn to each other like magnets and the issues is going to surface In some way shape or form if one has forgiveness it will surface for benefit if one doesn't understand or have the tool of forgiveness it'll probably be more harm, more trauma. Hmm.
0: Could it result in confusion? Oh, absolutely. He's very confused about which direction he's going gay or straight.
5: Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely.
5: Confusion, remember, is a mixing of mm-hmm. unlike energies. Mm. Remember the example I've used of we've got a whiteboard and I shine a red light and a blue light and a green light on the board and we see red, blue, and green unless we're colorblind and our brain interprets those frequencies differently. Scientifically, Mm -hmm. there is no such thing as red, there is no such thing as green, there is no such thing as blue, they're just different frequencies that the brain interprets Mm -hmm. in a certain way. So I have clarity on red, blue and green when I look at the board. Even if they're all shining at once, I have clarity on them. But what happens if I pull those three beams in and put them on one spot on the board? Because those energies on, on a physics level, because those energies are additive and subtractive with each other. The, the peaks and the troughs literally in the frequencies that are there interact and muddy the spot on the board. I don't have a red or a green or a blue spot on the board. I've got some kind of a mixed, I don't know, it's kind of like magenta or you know whatever it might end up being. And that would be confusion. That's the mental equivalent of confusion when you bring frequencies together that are not matching, then they'll interfere with each other, and that interference would look like the muddy spot on the board where the lights are shining, or it looks like the confusion in the mind. And when there's confusion, especially if there's emotional trauma attached to the confusion, my take would be that's going to be one of the first things that knocks out the spiritual faculties and knocks out the soul and knocks out choice and then one becomes vulnerable to all kinds of crazy things in the culture so my offering would be to really embrace the benefit of again we're back to that principle i spoke of earlier Everything becomes a gift when it's embraced in being. When it's embraced out of the truth of who I am, the most horrific family secret will become my blessing. You know, that's the moment at which I can finally let go of the angel because I've gotten its gift so there can only be benefit especially if your son is willing to have that conversation and willing to do some work around it i could easily see him waking up in the morning and being as free as a bird especially after 50 45 years of carrying a load like that yeah well and that will and that will change your sister's life as well even if it, not a word is said if he resolves that energy if you resolve that energy your sister's life's going to change for the better.
0: I'm going to stick with that thought, even though I have another thought about another source of Jonathan's anxiety, but this is one of them, I guess I would say. Yeah, good good
5: chance it's not singular.
0: Oh, yeah, okay.
5: When you look at, you know, if you just look back go to your childhood and look at all of the adults in your experience, your field of experience as a kid, mom, dad, mom and dads, grandma and grandpa, each Mm. side, uncles, aunts on each side, cousins, just kind of survey Mm. that whole group. And how much trauma do you suppose Collectively, they were carrying yeah and and whatever that quantity is, how much insight and knowledge do you suppose any one of them had in how to resolve it? If they had no tools and no insight on in how to resolve it, it just became trauma within the household that got passed on to the children, mm. Like as sure as night follows day.
3: Yeah. You know,
5: and I'm talking right down to the point where the conception of a child. If, you know, either a man or a woman have been sexually abused later happily married, but have never resolved that sexual abuse, and here they are in an intimate position conceiving a child, guess what part of the starting point of that conception is for that child's form? It's an unresolved trauma resonance. And who had the tools to look at it or deal with any of it? You know, perhaps separate out this conversation and share it with Jonathan. I mean, you know, and I'd be delighted to support the conversation if you need some assistance with it, because it can only benefit him, his son. You know, I don't know if he's married, his wife or former wife, whoever the mother of the child is, who who in the family system knows how to resolve any of this? Is there anybody when you were a kid that you could imagine could even have... talked about it or thought about it in any healing way, that kind of an issue?
0: No. No, not at all. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> there were no so, work, there was no scope for talking about anything like that. Right.
5: There was only the the cultural message that... For most people, goes something like this: sex is dirty. Save it for the one you love.
0: <laughs> right.
5: That's the culture. Uh huh. And you know, it's I. I once I wrote a poem once called "Sex is Obscene," and you look at in this culture. People will sit their child down in front of the most vile, violent movie, murder, slaughter, torture, sexual abuse. will allow them to do that. But to think about looking at a naked body? Oh, my God. So the very thing that virtually it would be unusual for a grandparent not to want grandchildren. And yet, most grandparents can't fathom that their children actually have sex. Uh (laughs) That's the insanity of sex in this culture. Yeah. And there's only one way to resolve it, and that's through forgiveness. (laughs) Otherwise, it just, you know, I mean, look at the aberrant sexuality that's going on all around the world, all around the culture, and it's crazy. You know, I mean, there are places where people engage in certain sexual practices, and they're going to be killed for it. And in this country, they're being censured for it and destroyed for it. When what needs to happen is all of the trauma and insanity. I remember having a conversation with someone around sexuality issues and they became so distraught, they actually hung up the phone in the middle of the conversation. I'm saying, wait, we're just opening a space. There's something here to do. Hung up the phone in the middle of the conversation more than once. Wow. Why does that happen? Because there's so much unresolved energy around those dynamics. And generally, somebody has to open the conversation, somebody has to look at the truth behind it all and start to clean it up. Because here we have people who will easily expose their children to the worst violences of the world, but would never imply to their children that they ever had sex, or would never, you know, to just think about their child actually engaging in sex is just, like, Mm -hmm. beyond so many people. And yet it's the most wholesome, powerful, sweet, beautiful, wonderful thing in the world.
0: I had a friend who had two daughters, and at one point she learned how you make a baby, and she comes home from school and says, "Dad, and mind you, this guy had two daughters. She said, "You did that twice <laughs> <Some> <laughs> yeah. <pretty> funny story. <laughs>
5: yeah. it It's funny it would be really humorous if it weren't so sad yeah. That the child isn't brought up with just the knowledge that, gee, we have bodies for a reason and there's a way they function and there's a way children are brought into the world. And excuse me, grandma and grandpa, if you want a grandbaby, your children are going to have to become intimately involved. And if you haven't given them a totally, completely loving perspective on that intimacy, then there's going to be trauma introduced into that child's life just through the simple act of intercourse.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: And sooner or later somebody has to resolve the crap. Yeah. So it sounds like a perfect opening and Jonathan certainly sounds like he's ready to be finished with waking up in the morning with anxiety.
0: Yeah,
3: he is. <laughs>
5: he's very... What an example pure. you are.
0: Well, he's very curious about the fact that I don't have it anymore,
5: and how mm-hmm. did I
0: do that? And, well, I didn't do it, but I used some tools that really showed me what I was doing, and somehow I got healed in the process. And, and so well, i it's, really it's
5: Not somehow. It's just it's as sure as night follows day. When you look at the goal that's involved in any trauma, and you cancel it the perceptual mm. construct that is sourced in unresolved trauma is going to collapse into the root of that trauma. If love is present, mm-hmm. that trauma is going to be resolved. That's all. It's so simple. Yeah. I love how the Course talks about it. The Course says, it's so simple, it cannot but fail to be completely understood. Denied, yes, but not ambiguous. And if you refuse it now, it will be because in your mind the cost was too high to cancel a goal. Yeah. No, I'm going to mm-hmm. hold on to this to my grave. My right. You'll have to pry it from my cold, dead fingers. Cancel that thought. <laughs> but that's how people yeah. hold on to their trauma.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Jonathan often says, and Tim Bingham does too, he says, I'm anxious, but I couldn't tell you what I'm anxious about. I'm just as free-floating. Right. It's just in there. So, yep. you know, to establish what the goal is or goals are that are inspiring this state. It's going to be... Simple well, as ABC. Uh, I hope so. As yeah. Simple
5: as ABC. So you tell me that you went to the grocery store and you started to walk into the grocery store and you just went into this terrible anxiety and you turn around and you got back in the car. how are we going to find out what the goal was? Well, if you were walking to the grocery store and this terrible anxiety was aroused, if you were to look at or ask yourself, what would the ideal outcome here be? There's the goal. Oh, I would have loved to have just been able to, when that anxiety came up, take a gentle breath and go on to the grocery store and do my grocery shopping. Then cancel that goal. Remember that You know, the Course talks about you've got to return your mind to the point where the trauma happened. But that's not a function of memory. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to go through the memory bank and find the terrible, dirty, awful, horrific thing that happened to you. It's a function of forgiveness. When you engage in forgiveness... Automatically. I mean, think about it as a building. So there are all these building blocks called love and wonderment and drama and trauma within the structure. A building comes up out of the structure. The building at this moment is this anxiety while walking into the grocery store. It's based on the content in the mind. All I need to do is look at the ideal outcome in that situation. I've got my goal, and when I cancel it, that structure, that perceptual construct, will collapse in on itself, and bingo, there it is. Bingo. It's that simple. It's as simple as ABC. Now, the first time I do it, the first worksheet I do on that, I might only get one little nugget of what that's about. It might take doing Mm -hmm. 77 times 70 worksheets (laughs) before I go into the full-blown memory Mm. that is accessed by forgiveness before I've got the vitality to process through it. But it's as simple as ABC. Here I am in a circumstance. What is it? Oh, I was going up to meet the president and all of a sudden I had this cold sweats oh what would be the ideal result for that oh it would have been so good if the president just looked at me and saw how I was starting to sweat and warmly came over and embraced me huh.
3: mm-hmm. there's
5: the goal I want to cancel And it's a function of forgiveness to return the mind to the moment where the original trauma happened. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to remember it. It's a pure, simple function of forgiveness. And I may go into, and it always amazes me On all the years I've been doing this with people when they cancel the goal, where their mind goals, what they dr- goes, wh- what they drop into. It always still amazes me. And the mind may drop into something that is not cognitive and not something I'm consciously aware of, but I energetically, standing as a space of active, present love, start to process the underlying trauma. until I'm finished with it. So what would the worksheet look like with Jonathan? Well Jonathan, if you go back and remember that, I mean you you talk about how this still impacts your life. You can't be around her without this coming up coming up. If you mm-hmm. go back and just think about what it was like as a child to be touched inappropriately, if you committed could, could have you know, in your adult mind today, if you could have directed that child to say or do something, what would it have been? There's the Is goal campaign.
3: Say it you, mean, again?
0: you mean establish an understandable goal for him Today. as if he were capable of it back then? What would he have said or right. done? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
5: So so okay, when you good. were six and she did blah, 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 whatever, if you'd have been able to say something or do something, mm-hmm. if there was an outcome that would have been helpful to you, what would it have been? And it might be, geez, I wish mom had walked in the room. It might be, I wish I could have screamed. It might be, I, could, mm-hmm. I wish I could, instead of freezing, because chances are one of the things that happens with people when they go into that, they go into sympathetic dominance, and they go into freeze mode, and literally the brain shuts down. It literally is just frozen, can't do anything. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times when there's sexual abuse, especially in rape cases, we heard about some of this in, in this recent trial that happened that was so, you know, widely publicized. Oftentimes, you know, the... the um, Rape culture will say, well, she didn't scream, therefore it must have been okay with her. No, buddy, Mm -hmm. what happened is she went into sympathetic dominance, and one of the symptoms of sympathetic dominance is blood flow to the brain is cut off, and one goes into total complete freeze mode, can't move, can't say a word, can't do anything. And sadly, that's oftentimes used as an offense. Well, see, that, that was consent. But it's mm-hmm. actually sympathetic dominance in a freeze mode. So it, it might have been, you know, the goal might have been that I could have just called out, or I could have said no, or you know, there could mm-hmm. be a thousand variations on the theme. The energy patterns are in him to come up with whatever that ideal outcome yeah. would have been.
3: Mhm.
5: A good question. You know, it might have been. Geez, I wish I could have just gone and told mom, told dad. Yeah. Or it might have been, I wish I could have resolved my guilt or my fear or my terror. And that would be the starting point for him at 50 to start to dismantle the trauma from that event.
0: Hmm. wonder what it is about kids that they don't tell.
5: Well, oftentimes they're threatened. Oftentimes, and I'm talking from having worked but, with people who have been sexually abused, is they enjoyed it and would like more, more and, and are going to keep quiet.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: That's oftentimes a dynamic. But somebody told them how bad they were and how dirty they were and, you know, what were all the superlatives that went along with it. And that's all, I mean, that's sown throughout the field of humanity. Men and women has been sown for centuries. And sooner or later, somebody's got to have the courage to open the genes, pun intended, and move that trauma out of, literally out of the genetic family heritage.
0: his way of dealing with it was when he learned she'd come over, he would just get out of the house. Disappear,
3: yeah.
5: And and that would be, my offering would be, that would be an expression of sympathetic dominance. There's the fear. And, you know, in sympathetic dominance, most people become tongue-tied literally because the brain you know in order to go to, to survive blood is shunted away from the brain and so the brain can't even function can't even you know can't even speak
0: so strange yeah
5: What's happening with your breath?
0: I'm just in it. (laughs) Just picturing that little guy. Yeah. It's funny. He's always been very open to me about bodily things. Uh, one time he was upset because he was traveling to England with the boys choir and he, he said, Mom, I think there's something wrong with me. I'm not like the, he got back from England. They had shared rooms. He said, I'm not like the other boys. And I said, what? And he said, oh, there's something wrong with me. And I said, oh, what? And he said, well, my shape down there is different. And I said, oh, Jonathan, you're not circumcised. I circumcised, bet they are. Circumcised, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, you that's a
5: big deal it. for a lot of boys.
0: Yeah. He said, you mean I'm the same as them? It's just that it's covered over with this skin. And I said, yep. And there's nothing wrong with you. And he was so relieved. He was throwing his body yeah. around on the couch. He uh, yeah, thought he was done for. But yeah. he was, yeah, let's see, he was probably 10 or 11 by then. So, but he never mentioned this. Yeah.
5: Well, it sounds like the the opening is there with his yeah. recent speaking of that and his willingness to step out of anxiety and your having stepped out of your anxiety, which have been with you for years and thrown away the medication and it's doable for everybody. I mean, it's, there's no reason for it to be there other than there's an energy that hasn't been embraced, hasn't been dealt with.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
5: And you know, I, I, I forget what the number of people are, but there are monstrous numbers of people who are just taking drugs every day to try and shut that off and not have to deal with it. You know, it's a, a right. mechanical form of denial.
0: Mhm. It is
5: to take to take the chemical that that just shuts down that function, and of course, when it shuts down that function, it shuts shuts down a whole lot of other functions, and they call those side effects rather than diseases. The truth is, every drug is a disease disguised as a cure, period. Every drug. Mm. And, you know, one of the challenges in the healing professions is the way, sadly, the way medicine is set up. I mean, this conversation is one that someone who's getting ready for a surgery regarding something to do with sexuality, this is a conversation the doctor should be able to have with them. But the doctor's set up for, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, you know, a minute and 52 seconds or something, and you got a script and you're out of the office.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
5: You know, where's the healing in that? We need to be putting healing alongside treatment. So there's a lot of transformation that needs to be done throughout the whole culture. Because we are, I mean, this country spends in excess of 100% more than any other country in the world on disease care. And we're something like number 38 on infant mortality. Or something in the range of number 40 in maternal mortality. I forget what the number is, but it's astronomical where we are down list. We're behind, you know, some of the countries that you would think of. Jeez, they don't even qualify as third world countries and our health outcomes are worse than theirs. Yeah. By far. So there's, you know, I mean, it's a huge huge thing that needs to change and happen and it can only happen organically so who knows this opens this conversation opens with Jonathan not only heals but he transforms his profession who knows because this is what needs to be dealt with and you start you look around and you listen to the family history of people and what has happened to them personally and or what they know of what happened to Aunt Sally or Uncle Tom or you know whoever It's a lot to be dealt with.
0: Yeah.
3: And it's time.
5: So if you need any support, if it becomes appropriate to have that conversation, if you need any support, I'm here to support
4: you.
0: Thank you so much.
5: You are so welcome and so deserving.
0: Well, thanks.
5: Hats off to Dr. Tim for that uh your deserving comment that goes with it.
0: No, that's it, isn't it? Yeah.
5: It is. It is. It's sweet. It's it's nice to uh to watch how people respond when you say that to them.
0: I know. Surprised. What me? <laughs>
5: So how about a mind shifter?
0: Sure. I'll get out my my junk right here. All right, shoot.
3: All right. It, it's, it's, it,
5: just, it just triggered a whole series of thoughts for me. It's interesting in this culture that, you know, the very topic we've been having for the last 20 or 30 minutes, and in the culture, people call that part of their bodies their junk.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. that's True. <laughs> so it,
5: it's safe and healing. Yep. And brings only joy to my family.
0: Okay.
5: When we have okay. honest... When we have honest, intimate and direct conversations.
0: Oh, Michael, that's an easy one.
3: Good. That's awesome. I don't think
0: I don't think I'm gonna have much to refute that with. Jonathan's been great that way. Catherine too, now that she's left that husband that set up such restrictions on her. Yeah. Um Awesome. Um,
5: well, it sounds like just yeah. a family structure to to take this whole principle to another level. You remember the, the idea expressed in the course is that millions yet unborn will benefit from the work you do?
0: Well, that's very I'm good. Willing, I'm willing for
5: this to be the opening.
0: Well, I hope so. And I can picture William and Charlie on Jonathan's side uh, benefiting very much. William seems in great shape, but, you, you know, there are things in everybody's life. And Charlie... Yes. Yep.
5: Everybody's life. Yep. We're all in this together. So we'll be breathing with you, and the clock is winding down. We'll be holding the space. yeah And uh, just say thank you for what you've opened today again. Your inquiry is awesome. Thanks for having the courage, and everybody.
0: I wasn't even going to talk on the show. Say it again. My, I wasn't even going to talk on the show. She said, your hand was up during Tim. Is it still up? She says, and of course, as soon as Jeannie <laughs> invites me to talk, I'm off and running, and
5: you do Let's <laughs> go forward. There you go. Sweet. Awesome. Well, you're appreciated, and everybody have the best year yet of your eternal life. It is an awesome gift to give the world, and the world is in need of it. Blessings.